Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. felt for myself like I've got to get this right. So I basically came up with this name. I called it with my son, The Primal Path, and I laid it all out. Here's a six-year process, and here's, you know, the the roles you've got to master. Here's the shifts. Like, I went through all of that. And one morning, I'm sitting with my son, maybe he's 14 or so, and behind me on a big um, chalkboard, I've written it out so he can see a visual map of what we're going to go through the next few years. And he just asked me this probing question. He says, Dad, when did you go through The Primal Path? And I said, oh, I never went through it. And he said, what do you mean? You, no one took you through this? I said, no. He said, well, where did it come from? And I said, I made this up. Welcome again to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot, and Gabe, you and the team, you're quite busy getting ready for the 2023 Culture Summit, April 27th and 28th, both live in Nashville plus virtually. It's it's where many of the great talks and conversations you hear weekly on Q Ideas comes from. Now, this year, the theme is Building Resilient Communities. And I want to key in on that one word, Gabe, resilient. When it comes to our youth and young adults, one thing you've noted is there's a lack of strength and resilience. And we're not talking physically, but emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. And this lack is especially acute in young men. In many respects, the reason for the lack of resilience falls upon us in the older generations, how we in our families, in our churches, and in the broader community are helping young men to emotionally develop and mature. Have we been intentional about raising boys to be men? Gabe, that brings us back to a conversation you had a couple of years ago that we want to reflect on again here on today's show. Set it up for us. What does it mean to raise intentional sons. And this is with Pastor John Tyson. And many of you know John. He's been around since the beginning of our first Q Ideas, 2007. Been a friend of mine for over 20 years. He's lead pastor of Church of the City, New York. Came from Adelaide, Australia. Moved to the U.S. 20 years ago and just wanted to help cultivate renewal within the Western church. And he's just doing that so well. And you're going to get to hear from him today. I'm going to interview him specifically around a book he released called The Intentional Father, A Practical Guide to Raise Sons of Courage and Character. Today we're going to talk. I'm going to ask John a lot about the, what does it mean to truly raise young men? What does it mean to do that in a culture where there's a lot of confusion and chaos and accusation of toxic masculinity whenever you start talking about getting intentional about what does it mean to be a man? So I, w- I want to hear his thoughts. I want you to hear his thoughts. So I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation now. Let's welcome in John Tyson. Well, John Tyson, welcome back to the Q Ideas podcast. Thank you, mate. It is always a delight to be with you guys. Well, listen, we're talking about something that is so crucial and so important, and you have done the work for years on this, and this project finally released, The Intentional Father, A Practical Guide to Raise Sons of Courage and Character, and you're jumping right into what is the deal with men? What is the deal with our boys? Where is this going in our society? This is one of those areas that is so important 
for us to address, especially in the church. But I want you to describe a little bit of why did you decide to, I mean, you're a pastor, you're talking a lot about cultural context. You've written a lot of books that deal with how the church can be faithful, but man, you took a deep dive into what does it mean to be a good father? And I want to know what was motivating that for you? Um, I think probably three things. One um, is just my own son, Nathan, who's now 21. I mean, I just loved my son and I wanted to get it right as fully it was it was in my power to do. So I basically felt the fear of God when he was born, which is like, I do not know how to get this kid into healthy adulthood. So yeah, part of it was just like based on love for my son that made me begin to research and read. And I realized there was just a huge, huge like gap uh, in this space. There's lots of good things um, that were like dots, but there was no lines connecting the dots together. So I basically just did that for him. Second one um, is I, you know, I pastor a church predominantly filled with young people. And I just kept meeting young men with profound father wounds, and it was impacting every area of their life. And I thought, you know what, uh, it, my son has come through this. He's doing great. Maybe I have some sort of obligation to sort of share what I learned and worked on to other people. So, yeah, it was basically personal and pastoral. And then you move out into our culture and you realize there's an absolute crisis when it comes to masculinity. Either it's a gender-neutral world or it's a toxic, toxic masculinity world, and there didn't seem to be a vision to raise godly men sort of from my theological lens. So that was, yeah, it was those things that sort of pushed it and brought it into the public space. Yeah. And as you look at those father wounds and you describe the people in your church and just give us a sense in the context right now, like what's happening with men, what's happening with boys? How would, how would you describe the failure that we're experiencing right now in terms of how it's showing up in our society? Well, for the most part, um, so I'll just give you a, a, an example. So I think a lot of men are deeply, deeply struggling with uh, insecurity, anger, and sadness. And below the surface of sometimes the bravado or overcompensation, that, that like they feel like they didn't get what they needed along the way. They're living without a sense of being blessed, wanted, and sent into the world. And so, yeah, they, it either shows up in um, insecurity, overcompensation, workaholism, um, various addictions. It shows up in the way they, they treat women. Um, but underneath it all, I think if I could sum it up in one word, it would be this sadness. Mm. There's a profound sadness with young men today that they are somehow missing something that they wish they had, but it's not available to them. Where do you think that comes from? I mean, why, why, yeah, that's, that's deep. I mean, that, obviously sadness can lead to all kinds of things, isolation, depression, violence, anger. Yeah. But what are the roots of this sadness that they just missed? They, they, they're seeing other men have something they don't have? Or do you think it's just part of our image of God identity as human beings that they just sense something's missing that their fathers didn't give them? Yeah, I think it's, it's probably all of those things. On a sociological level, they did research that came out of New York University asking the question, when did helicopter parenting start? And they, they said it started around 1990. And the interesting thing about that is they found that within one generation, rates of anxiety and depression increased by 80% in one generation. Wow. And it's like, what happened with parents? Parents failed to do something. 
And the result of it was an 80% increase in anxiety and depression. I mean, that basically is one generation's radical change. So James Hollis, who's a a Jungian psychologist, he basically says all human societies have had a six-step process for initiating young people into adulthood. Separation from childhood, death of naivete, impartation of the tribe's religion, story, and required roles to participate in society, a great ordeal where what they learned was tested in the real world, a blessing in welcoming back after they've accomplished something, and then reintegration into the society to serve it as a whole. So you think about who's, who's offering that, that sort of six-step process in our world today. At best, it is a patchwork of mentors, and it is little, little scraps of wisdom and information. And so I think a lot, of, a lot of folks feel chronologically like they're adults. They have the responsibilities of adulthood, but internally, I think they definitely feel like they're adolescents still looking for leadership in many cases. Well, your book, The Intentional Father, I mean, it's a beautiful book, number one. Love how it's bound. Just left, you know, the gold. Glad to hear that. D-Boss. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. And David Kinnaman wrote the forward, good friend of ours, uh, with a lot of details in here from Barna Research and the data to just help dads. But if you're a dad like me, I have a 20-year-old son, 18-year-old son. You find yourself at that point in life, at the end of that teenage run, going off to college. You're kind of like, you know, this is what it is. Like this is this is what I did. I'm seeing the fruit of it. Um, and there's some things you regret. You wish you would have done better. And there's some things that that you're proud of. And I think for a lot of dads out there listening to this, um, you wrote this book to help them really capture this moment between the ages of what, 12 and, and like 18? Is that, is that where you would say the range of this is? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, there's something happening psychologically and physically around that age when a young man begins to hit puberty. They're dealing with all these like confusing inbursts of energy that, and it's shifting the way they perceive things. So they've got physical strength, testosterone's coming into their body. They're, they're dealing with erotic energy. Like, what do I really think about the opposite sex? They're getting a sense of wanting to test themselves against their peer, measure their strength. Uh, they're insecure. Like, do they have what it takes? A lot of comparison happens in that sort of space. And so, yeah, I'm basically wanting to say, hey, history's recognized. Uh, people at that age need a guide or they will self-initiate. Yeah. And so I basically I basically tried to come up with that. And he, here's my goal. Almost every dad I've ever talked to says, I want to get this right. And then they say, I know I should do something. And all I wanted to do was like, hey, here's a plan. You can adopt it as you want, but I can give you a comprehensive pathway from adolescence into adulthood so that you're not starting at zero. Like that, this is I, what I basically did was read all the great wisdom tradition on male formation and then put it together in a logical sequential path. And so I view this as a baseline which people can innovate out of. But if, and if you're a great dad, you, you may not need this. If you're like, no, I've totally got this, that's fine. I've met very few dads like that. But if you're like, I want to do it right, but I don't know how to do it, I'm like, I genuinely believe. This book will spur your imagination, build resolve in your heart, and give you a phenomenal starting point. And why this is so important is it's it's not only that they desire to do it right, they maybe have never had it modeled for them. And so as fathers, you're going to model it. And you did model it. You and your son went through this whole journey where you live this out. This isn't just a bunch of platitudes and ideas and thoughts. I mean, you practice this and you give people incredibly practical, specific ways 
to raise their son and these moments, ceremonies and th- these marked moments that are critical in a journey that a child goes on to start to take on manhood and take it on with character. Um, talk a little bit about that process with you and your son and, and what was the most life-giving thing about it. And maybe give us an example of just one of those marks, one of those moments that is so important that every father listening to this today could go, wow, okay, I understand what you're talking about now. Well, I mean, I, I had a, a very, very kind father, a godly man, but he grew up in, uh, he spent his formative years in a boarding school in India. And his father, my grandfather, just wasn't around. My grandfather was not a good father. And so my dad didn't have the tools he needed to raise someone, you know, sort of as idiosyncratic and complex as me. So he did his best, but he still missed I think large chunks of it. And so I, I, I felt for myself, like I've got to get this right. So I basically came up with this name. I called it with my son, the primal path and, and I laid it all out. Here's a six year process. And here's, you know, the, the fight, the roles you've got to master. Here's the shifts. Like I went through all of that. And one morning I'm sitting with my son, maybe he's 14 or so. And behind me on a big um, chalkboard, I've written it out so he can see a visual map of what we're going to go through the next few years. And he just asked me this probing question. He says, Dad, when did you go through the primal path? And I said, oh, I never went through it. And he said, what do you mean? You, no one took you through this? I said, no. He said, well, where did it come from? And I said, I made this up. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I made this up for you because you're my son and I love you and I wanted to get it right. And he sat there and he got teary and he said, Dad, I feel really, really loved. <laughs> and wow. that, was, that was one of those moments where I think my son realized, hey, my dad is trying to break generational cycles right now and he's giving it all. And I, I want every dad to have that experience that their son knows that they are being loved by this intentional fatherhood. That was one of the highlights of the whole trip for me. I think I, think I would say the way I framed it, it started when Nate was 13. I'm running into the ocean with his friends after we gave him this lecture and prayed over him and did an initiation ceremony um, in New York City, ran out into the ocean, and it closed after six years, after a gap year, after we'd hiked 500 miles across Spain together doing the Camino de Santiago. It officially closed out with him running into the ocean (laughs) in Finisterre as a bookend. And that's when he was like fully blessed, welcoming to the community of men. Yeah. So yeah, the way it was framed was 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 powerful, and that that transcendent moment was rich. Yeah, and I know throughout the book you give these different images and examples of how people can take these steps, questions to to talk about, and you know it's it's a real journey towards learning how to honor your father, um, but also to understand that there are these different kinds of fathers that create these different kind of sons. Would you just take a moment and describe the five kinds of fathers that you've observed? Yeah, I, I'm trying to make the case. Um, when you look across the scope of fatherhood today, people fall into one of five categories. Number one, you've got um, irresponsible dads. These are these are dads who just walk out on their kids, and they leave a giant wound and hole in the lives of their sons. Like there's, there's meant to be a person, and there's no person. Um, the second kind is uh, the ignorant father. Uh, these are those who just like just don't know what they're doing. Not always maliciously, but they just like they don't they don't know how to be a dad. No one ever gave it to them. They don't have any tools. They don't have any understanding. It's just like they're winging it. Then I talk about the inconsistent dad, and the inconsistent dad is someone who is in and out of their kid's life. They're not providing that stable, consistent framework and emotional bond. 
So the kid just doesn't know what to expect. And I think, you know, probably the best example of this is Anthony Bourdain. I saw um, in the documentary about him how because he felt like he couldn't be an amazing dad because he traveled so much, he sort of just lost heart. So he would show up and be amazing, but then run off in shame and personal ambition. Mm. Then you've got the involved dad. And this is honestly probably your typical good Christian dad does the sex talk, teaches the kid to drive you know, hands them generic Christian wisdom and a Christian worldview. But the challenge with that, and this is what I'm advocating for, for intentional fathers, that's not enough. And most of the pain I have in my heart from my childhood is I felt misunderstood because general wisdom was not applied to me as a person. And so the intentional father doesn't just give worldview and wisdom. He asks the question, what are the keys to my son's heart? Who has God given me? And how do I help prepare a path to raise them into their destiny? And to me, when you get that extra intentionality, I think it makes all the difference in a young man feeling loved and prepared for the world. Yeah, you have a chapter called Roles to Master, where you really walk through these, you know, you say the principle is, and I'll read it. In order for your son to be good at being a man, he needs to understand and grow in the key roles of manhood. Learning and growing in knowledge, skill, and character in those areas will produce confidence as he moves out into the world. And just going back to our first portion of this podcast, where you described a lot of the men in your church feeling like they missed something. They didn't, you know, the helicopter parenting came in and there's these real roles that every man needs to experience on their own where they fail. They fail forward. They, they learn, they're getting their hands dirty. They're building things. Yeah. They're doing real work. And, um, you know, in our culture today, there's this, you know, well, you got toxic masculinity, right? Is a phrase that people throw out there when you start talking about men being men. How how have you tried to address that in the way that you articulate what it means to raise a son that understands they're a man and that there's certain requirements and calls to what it means to be a man in this world, but it stops short of toxic masculinity? Um, I think toxic ma- masculinity is basically broken men breaking others. Like, like that's what they do. If you're not healthy, you won't be able to create health through your life, your leadership, or your influence. And so to me, uh, I'm, I'm trying to break that cycle. Well, one of the things I talk about, which I think is honestly a real revelation, we talk a lot about the Proverbs 31 woman, but the Proverbs 31 man is how the, the chapter actually starts. And it, it's, it's trying to do two things. It's trying to, in this Proverbs 31, starting in verse three, it's trying to honor male strength as a gift. Right. So let's just start there, how contrarian that is. Male strength, male energy is a gift, not a threat. Mm-hmm. When not used properly, it does tremendous damage, but inherently it is a, a compelling and a good thing. So it's actually a mum giving a lecture, and I think it's on the failures of Solomon, but she says, do not spend your strength on the women, you vigor on those who ruin kings. Mm. So she's basically saying, you have vigor as a man, you have strength as a man, do not waste it on chasing women. I think it's referring to Solomon who started building shrines to his wives, gods. And you think, what could Solomon have done for the poor in Israel if he'd taken that money to these foreign gods and he'd redistributed it? What could he have done for Yahweh? What culture could he have built? How could he have empowered others? So he wasted his resources on pursuing foreign women's gods. But then he says this at the end of it, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up, judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So I want to make the case male energy is a gift. It is used for the good of others, and it is most clearly modeled in the person of Jesus. So I'm not talking about generating personality types or stereotypes. Um, If you know me, I am like somewhat artistic, thoughtful, and nerdy. 
I am not your a typical alpha male or anything like that. Um, but I realize that I have been given capacity and strength and I'm to use it for the sake of others. Well, you look at Jesus. He's the strongest man who ever lived. He embodied courage, um, yet he used it for the sake of others. And so I think the, the challenge with the insecure men is they actually strive to prove rather than being freed to serve. And so my ultimate vision is to form young men who have the character, personality, and traits of Christ coming through their unique personality. Jesus is our model, not any human being. Well, it's interesting in Luke 2, I was just reading this yesterday, where it describes that Jesus grew in in strength and spirit. Like strength of spirit was a, a growth thing for him up to the age of 12. Um, and clearly we're talking about Christ. So God had a, him on a journey of, of intentionally fathering him to be the son of God. Yes. But but how how do you cultivate that? Because I look at the world we're in today and the ability for our children to discern right from wrong, good from evil, um, and to have really clear understanding of conviction and how that plays out in a culture that might have very opposite views of how they're being raised or they're constantly, there's content put in front of them, information put in front of them, uh, propaganda put in front of them, that their ability to discern and, and the spirit to be alive in their heart and their actions and the way that they're thinking and living and talking is critical. How do you address that in the intentional father plan? Well, one of the, so I want to start just by saying this, you, you have to have a plan and you have to be intentional. I know that just sounds so obvious, but you are not going to be able to compete with the formation that young people are getting in the world today with uh, uh, a peppy youth group talk and a 40 minute sermon. You, you, you have lost, if that is the fulcrum that you were relying on to form your kids, it requires way more intentionality, and it requires knowing what are the unique challenges and pressures they face at this stage of their development. And so, yeah, I try and acknowledge what I think those specific things are and give a, give a plan to address those. And I, I, I think the other thing I would say is a lot of times, well, some of the, some of the feedback I've gotten in the book is like, this is really intense. Like, you, you did this with your son for six years. Here's my response. Your son's going to be in your house for six years. Is your plan to like invest in him for two years and then just let him do whatever he wants for four? So to me, it's like, no, you've got to play the long game. You've got to settle in. You've got to have a plan for the formation. And, um, you, you know, you've got to address this sort of stuff head yeah. on. I want to shift a little bit to those who have the opportunity to influence a teenager's life, a teenage boy's life that maybe isn't their father. Maybe they're living in a home that's uh, a single parent home. The father's not that available, but they're part of other ministries. Maybe they're in youth group and they're they're around other people. How can men do something to supplement here when we're around teenagers, when we're around people that maybe we're not able to invest at this deep of a level but we could maybe play just some small part. Like, where would that start? How would we be intentional friends to our uh, teenage sons and boys that are around our world, our church, our youth groups, our families? How can we be intentional just to intersect with their life in those ways? Well, number one, you've got to have a vision for male community. You know, I, I think it's sad that a lot of men's ministries are dismissed and mocked as sort of like, you know, ineffective cliches. The majority of injustice happens in the world through ill-formed men. And I think we could change a generation by the way that we 
basically parented young men. I'm not saying women aren't important. Obviously, I, I believe women are central and essential, but there's a lot of roots of brokenness in our culture connected to men. So I think the ideal situation is that there is a valued, recognized community of men, and there's basically like a web of formation that happens around them. So they have peers their age that they're connected to going through a similar journey. They've got something happening in the home that's reinforcing that those values and that vision. Church values the formation of young men and um, helps them do that. So taking seriously discipleship, the way of Jesus, encouraging the, their unique stage in development, and then bringing the best mentors as possible to come around and fill in the gaps that you don't have. Mm. A lot of the people that shaped Nate the most were people from our church community and my web of relationships. So I'm advocating for almost like a council of men. I'm advocating for a community of men working together in webs to do this. And that takes a lot of the pressure off. Look, there's one thing that a son needs from his dad that no one else on earth can give, and that is his father's blessing. But outside of that, feeling loved, cared for, supported, believed in, and encouraged, that's what you need other mentors to do. So I would say, hey, if you're a stepdad, you're a single mom, rally and raise a tribe around your son. Um, you know, the difference between a tutor and a father, the tutor wants the best uh, wants the best content, but the father wants the best tutors to raise their sons mm. and have a father's heart, which says, let me supplement with people in my church with by gathering, you know, other folks who are around me. And you need a whole community of men raising them up. And historically, that's actually how it was done. Formation was done in community, not just father, son in an isolated manner. Well, again, this is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, and that was Gabe's conversation with Pastor John Tyson from Church of the City, New York, and author of The Intentional Father. And Gabe, I wish I had this in his online resource, The Primal Path, like 20 years ago. I can see where it might have made a difference in raising my sons back when. I didn't get to mention this when I was talking to John, but his daughter graduated high school and now is in college. And he took her on a similar journey, but different. It was very much about what does it mean to raise a daughter? And I know that he is thinking about what would it look like to start to share that story as well from a father's heart. But this is a man who's lived this out so faithfully and somebody that I believe we can all trust with such an important, delicate, but important conversation. Well, I hope that book comes out soon. As we wrap up today's show, again, as I mentioned at the start, we're just a couple of months away from the 2023 Culture Summit, April 27th and 28th. All the information and how to get registered, find that at qideas.org slash 2023. I'm Paul Perot. Thanks again for listening to Q Ideas. On behalf of Gabe, have a great week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. 
To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.